Welcome to this special episode of CDM Media's Executive Insights. I'm your host, J.D. Miller. We recently had our Florida Summit with fantastic speakers, one of which, Calum Harris, Director of Controls and Automation Engineering at Staples. Calum joined me on stage in front of a great audience for a live podcast recording as we dove into the future of machine vision. Now, machine vision paired with machine learning and industrial automation has exploded over the last few years and it's used in medical, military, supply chain, manufacturing, transportation, and oh so much more. This has created unique efficiencies and decreases in operational costs. So after the break, we joined that on-stage podcast session with Calum to dive into machine vision and where it can impact your business in the future. about machine learning versus machine vision. What's the key difference that people need to keep in mind? Uh, machine vision is what is capturing the physical world, right? Uh, it's what you're seeing, then how will I take what I see and turning it into meaningful data. That's key, that's key thing about driving machine vision, is it implies that I'm seeing something, what does it actually mean to me as a system or application? What's usable out of this information? Machine learning on the backside is, is how can I make this better? And that machine learning from can be in that machine vision application where it's taking that data, it says, eh, what I thought you were, it's not actually correct, right? Or it's seeing an object and it's seeing the imperfections of that object and fine tuning it to be better. Of, Let's take the example of that I've talked about earlier, a little bit of that potato chip, right? It's the easier thing to think about. Of, I see this potato chip. Now, I thought that I captured this image and I'm thinking about half of that potato chip is bad. Well, when you actually train the bot and look at it and go, eh, well, actually about maybe only a quarter of that's bad, right? So you're off. You're off by about 25%. How about we reanalyze that? So you're training the system to be a little bit more better. So in the future iterations, the more images that it's capturing, the more it can be better at producing the expected outcomes, the better results you're going to have. So talk to me a little bit about just the cameras needed for this, right? Because you need as high def, lack of a better term, you know, camera to capture this to get those subtle differences, right? Oh, it's key. Uh, we, we spend a lot of money on cameras, and I'm not going to lie, but the cameras provide the quality, because especially in your automation, you're deal, trying to deal with as much, uh, the highest percentage as you can of being able to be perfect, right? So you're aiming for that 99.9%. .9%. So the cameras in value are absolutely worth it. But what are they providing? They're, they're providing you depth clarity. So when they're actually getting that response back from the system, they can actually say, you're a half centimeter deep inside of a box versus a whole centimeter deep, right? So it's cracking that code of what, what is getting the feedback back to the camera and those little small pixelations matter in terms of the value quality that you're getting. So when you're talking machine vision, you know, because I'm sure it doesn't work everywhere, right? You know, grains of rice, you know, whatever, something mm -hmm. so minuscule. Talk to me, where does it work best and where does it still need to catch up with? Okay, so the places that it works best is where conditions are similar. So lighting conditions really matter for machine vision because obviously trying to get the reflection of lighting source off of an object to be able to then ascertain what do I do with this? What am I seeing, right? So if we have constantly changing conditions such as uh, outside, 
where you're having clouds, you're having rain, you're having uh, different times of the day that lighting source is either brighter or it's more dusky, right? You're constantly changing those variables. Plus, um, items that are larger are much easier than smaller, as you alluded to. Or materials, things where there, it's actually providing reflections based on the lighting. That can, in a chance, distort what the image is seeing. So where it works best at is continuously um, continuous environments where everything is sim similar. Where it's a little bit more difficult is where the dynamics of that environment are constantly changing. You're at the forefront of, of this, you know, this movement of, of machine vision. Take a step back. Talk to me about the evolution and how you've seen it get to where it's at today. <laughs> uh, machine vision, when it first started, um, I would say it was very infant. Like the old image capturing systems, I mean, honestly, we, when I was even in college, we were still trying to get to some level of perfection for the government at that time. And I'd say we we're still only about 20% accurate. And it's quality of this, the cameras in and of itself. We just could not get the, the depth, the pixelation to be able to provide a quality image. I mean, you think about an old Polaroid and how that's morphed into a 13 pixel iPhone, right? Like that's changed drastically with the clarity of the images we're able to take. So I would say the improvements in our camera's ability to take focus, the more pixelations we're able to have, but also the camera's ability to utilize the lighting sources. That's the key behind everything, is being able to get the most out of the lighting sources to be able to bring that into the raw images of itself and the dig digitalization with it. So the goal when you're dealing with machine vision, is it 24-7 work? Is it, you know, talk to me about you know, that, that finish line and where you guys want to go with machine vision and, and those companies that are using it. The goal with machine vision is constantly going to change. Uh, but I'd say the outcome is still going to be the same. Uh, meaning the goal is going to continually get higher. Meaning what more can we do? How can we make it more perfect? How can we expand on different types of products and industries can we shoot towards, right? But I don't think the objectives are going to change. The objectives are saying, how can we reduce the manual tasks of interpreting what I see out of these images to produce quality results in that full automation? Um, so the objective is going to say the same. I think just how we interpret is going to really expand. I think the medical field, the medical field is going to see the most significant change with this because you're dealing with, let's talk about 99% success rate, you're thinking about manufacturing, a potato chip, or a uh, supply chain where you can have some an item get placed in the wrong box. When you talk about health, you're talking about someone's life, right? So they're constantly trying to expand on that technology, to expand to that biomed space, and machine vision is absolutely crucial. I would say that that's the number one space where I would really like to see the modifications and improvements head towards. Talk to me a little bit, because with any technology, there's risk and security risk. Talk to me about you know, managing the security risk when it deals with machine vision. Uh, I would say that I actually just had a conversation about security risk, because um, when you're building applications in larger uh, server environments or larger environments where you have more robust security measures in place, it's great, it's fantastic, it's easier to, to simplify the data streams. When you're talking about IoT type devices that are related to machine visions, you're buying a camera from who knows where that has 
internal uh, structures and frameworks of communication that you're not really necessarily thorough on, right? So, but you're buying them to implement, and that that's constantly changing too. So, I would say these IoT type devices that are communicating back to our platform, that's our risks. And I think being able to build a secure environment to allow these different devices to be able to communicate well back to these larger applications should be our number one focus to kind of head towards because that's my concern. Let's talk about the human aspect, right? Everybody worries, or a lot of people worry, I should say. When it comes to AI, ML, and NV, what about the jobs, right? Am I putting people out of jobs by having these technologies? Um, and, and I know my thoughts, but I'm curious yours first. <laughs> I get actually asked this a lot, you know, and it's it's interesting. Even my even my wife, she's like, well, they put somebody else out of a job, right? Well, that's the initial thought and impression. But the key thing is, is that as a consumer, consumers are expecting lower prices too. So when they see that certain rates when job markets and labor markets continue to expand and go up, so are the prices of their goods that they're buying. So these companies are honestly just trying to compete with consumers that are buying their products. So they're looking for those prices. Secondly, the labor market is not as high as people think of. So the jobs that people say that I'm actually taking, it's actually an open position at a company meaning it's not being filled because people are not wanting to step up to take the plate of that job. I'm not saying it's on the, the, uh, the individual worker's part. I just think the climate has shifted in the labor market to not accept certain positions out there. I mean, Uber drivers, those expanded drastically out of the last six, seven years, right? Because it allowed people to step into more of a position of, why am I going to go to a nine to five job where I'm breaking my back every day? Why can I sit in the comforts of my air conditioned car and work and get the same amount of labor, right? So it works. So I think that the market's changed on how many people want to be in those type roles. And I think that's where our opportunities are coming in for full automation. It can create jobs too. People don't realize that too from a technology standpoint because this is technology that's new, technology that has to be learned. You know, talk to me a little bit about the fact that, yes, it may make efficiencies in one area reduce you know, labor force, but it's increasing others, right? <laughs> the number one position that's the hardest one to find right now is technicians. With everything we implement, with every automated system, we have to have, have people to work on them, to fix it. And I can tell you that skill set is not there. And I mean, it's hard to find. I have recruiters searching 24-7 to find these positions, and I, we can, or we're not able to fill them fast enough. And I'd say that's the struggle with most companies. They're just finding the raw talent to be able to fix these automated systems, to understand the electrical components, and how the fixes hardware is absolutely, it's opening up brand new positions for these teams. Talk to me a little bit also, because as you're doing this, you did a great demonstration where you're seeing these images change and they're constantly being taken, you, a box is moved, it's still taking images, it's still capturing all that. That's a mountain of data. How do you handle all this data and, and talk to me about future application when you're dealing with so much and you've got a warehouse full you're sitting on so much data all the time, right? <laughs> it's true. There's a ton of data. And I think the key is is being able to build applications that have the strength and power enough to extrapolate what is meaningful data and what is just data. 
right? And that's the key piece. And be able to do that for me. So we have a mixture and a hybrid solution. So where we got some that's on-premise, we have some that's cloud-based. And um, key thing is, is be able to extrapolate the most meaningful data with the on-premise applications, take that data, export it to our cloud to be able to utilize it for future models. And while we have multiple systems, multiple sites, multiple locations, sending this data back to the cloud, we have other applications on the back end assimilating all the data together, right? That's the key thing is making sure as we export it, that I'm looking across and creating some type of synergy between the data that I'm receiving. Then I can be able to utilize that data for future applications or be able to deploy new updates or features to the, the actual applications that are on site using that data. So you're looking at an on-prem plus cloud solution. You know, as you get more and more data, you know, cloud becomes more and more attractive for that, right? Right. So you, you, you talked about where things are. Talk, let's talk about future applications for machine visioning that you're seeing out there and, and uh, you know, th th there's a lot that, that comes to mind, even in the sporting world where it could be utilized, right? But talk to me about where you see machine visioning going. Uh, I say machine vision number one is heading towards agriculture more and more. You know, in supply chain and fulfillment centers, it's there, it's gonna be there, it's gonna continue to expand, but I feel where people have touched it less is in the agriculture space. Um, especially as you talk to more greenhouse. People don't like these large spaces. More, there's other companies right now that are popping up that are reducing their footprints by going purely greenhouse based that if they had the ability for machine vision to be able to see what, what crops are doing well, what moisture conditions are changing, what's allowing them to grow quicker, faster, they can actually reduce their overall footprint for growing the same products these large consumers grew to. So they're reducing their costs, they're able to position themselves in more meaningful locations for supply chain and consumer goods. Um, so I think ag's gonna be a huge space. Uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I think healthcare is an enormous space where it's just starting to get into. I mean, if you can actually train more systems to be able to understand the impacts of the body. It's not just relying on your uh, physiological conditions anymore. It's actually taking pictures of an open heart surgery to be able to identify different things that are going on and occurring to make and build a better assessment of your overall health condition. So I think there's great opportunities for machine vision there. Right now, what's the biggest challenge to getting there? I would say still is technology is we're just continuing to build more robust camera systems. It's allowing us to expand it into new areas, but I'd still say certain aspects, we're just not there yet, right? And I would say the skill set to interpret uh, machine vision is also very difficult to find. Because this is still in, still in its infancy. So I mean, I would say machine vision has been talked about and really discussed five, 10 years, you know? I'd say it's still in its infant stages. Um, so I think that as we keep getting new technology, we keep building our profile up of uh, engineers who understand machine vision and also in how to employ it and direct it correctly, I think we're gonna be able to enhance and get into those new areas. You live in this all the time. What has surprised you when you're dealing with machine vision? I think what surprises me is uh, it's, it's always it's surprising and impressive at the same time is the ingenuity of engineers, right? I think the technology, whether it be data, applications, or in and of itself, 
it's it means nothing without the brains and creativity behind it and i think that's what always is very impressive to me is how these engineers are finding new ways to adopt creative methodologies for incorporating the machine vision and making it better um, one of my engineers that i have right now i i can't stop to think about how many things and ways he's cracked new challenges has been ahead of him and purely it's because of creativity it's out of the box thinking i mean he'll go into a, a grocery store and just see something and go huh this is how i can apply this uh roadblock in my current algorithm and incorporate a new the new solution to overcome that so it's just intriguing to see i want geniuses like that on my team right <laughs> you know that, that's for sure you know, last question for you when it when it deals with all of this and you touched on it at your session here in florida but what does success look like when it comes to machine vision? Success looks like being able to automate 99.9%. .9%. That's the ultimate goal. So let's get there. Uh, being able to say this is successful 99.9% .9 of the time. Um, because that's at least an uptime or realistic goal that everyone should be shooting for to achieve. Um, the key thing about it though is redundancy. Because when you talk about machine vision, it's trying to automate some type of process. Some key piece of function of part of a business or industry. So then I want to be able to replicate that. I don't want to just have one specific location that has this nice technology. I want to be able to package it or sell it to other consumers, right? That can be able to use this technology at the same time. So being able to have duplicate data streams to be able to feed that back. Because whether if I was building a, um, uh, a machine vision system for a uh, manufacturer or a supply chain or a defense industry or anything like that, the same information, the same data that's being captured and collected to show you what's usable should still feed off the same sources, right? It's, it's still packageable. You're still learning whether what industry it may be. So having redundant data streams to make sure it's every, everything's being captured. Wonderful. Well, any questions? I'm still concerned about that human aspect, about people losing jobs, because here's, here's my question. It's machine learning, so employees actually have to work an issue with the, with the robots, let's say, to be able to educate them. But how do you convince them to do that if they may see that they're talking themselves out of a job in the future? Hmm, good question. Um, so when you say learning, they're helping the robot, right? So I would say that what they see Actually, we actually recruit higher for our facilities that have more enhanced automation because people want to be around this stuff. It's kind of cool to be around, right? Yeah. So even they see that a robot's coming in and taking over a position or a function of a facility, right? That having that knowledge of that robot and what it's doing gives that ability for that person to be able to work on it, to be able to teach it, to be able to continue to grow the ladder. Because from our perspective is we want to be able to have uh, people that have a thorough understanding of technology. We even see um, people in these industries rise to greater ranks purely because they have an engineering now background, right? If you don't have that engineering background, you're not going to get to that level purely because now you're seeing technology proliferate throughout these different industries. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks again to Calum. If you want to listen to past episodes of any of our family of CDM Media podcasts, go to cdmmedia.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm J.D. Miller. Thanks for listening.